There was just one defining moment where I had a blinding flash of the obvious that this this little kid that that I had in my arms was probably going to learn more from watching what I did than by what I said. Comey Media Group proudly presents Revelations with Cole Johnson. Welcome to Revelations the place where we communicate truth to power. I am Cole Johnson, and I am so glad you're able to join us. She has a business mind. She is a work-from-home mom, and she is a Christian. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you my next guest, consultant, coach, public speaker, businesswoman, entrepreneur, one of the most creative marketing minds I have ever met, CEO of Callahan Solutions, and my favorite title of hers, Uber guest, Stephanie Callahan. Stephanie is her name, and this is her revelation. Welcome to Revelation, Stephanie. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on, Cole. I'm excited about this conversation. Oh, I am too. So you are a Midwest girl, right? I am. All right. I am. All right. Which state? Illinois. Okay. I actually live right in the middle of Illinois. Oh, oh. Let's see if my geography is correct. Uh, is that the Champaign-Urbana area or? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm about an hour away. I'm about an hour west of okay. Champaign-Urbana. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So how was it growing up in central Illinois? You know, it was good. I grew up in in two different communities. I grew up in a very small farm town community through my elementary years, and both of my parents were teachers. So everybody knew everybody, um, which can be a good thing and sometimes not so good, um, depending on, on what's going on. But in general, it was a very wholesome, uh, loving environment to grow up in. And in junior high, we moved to another small town uh, that had a, a different focus. It wasn't necessarily a, a farm town. And it equally had some really great qualities. I'm blessed to say that I grew up in a space where I felt safe. And there's a lot of people that can't say that. And so I, I don't lose sight of how powerful that was for me. Now, I remember in the conversation we've had before, you said that there's a rich musical background that your family has. Uh, what is that in particular? I mentioned that my both my parents were teachers and my dad was a band director. Uh, he worked with kids from fifth grade all the way through senior and high school. And because both of my parents were teachers, I spent a lot of time hanging out uh, in the band room uh, with all of these different people practicing and collaborating and listening to all different kinds of music. And then at home, we were introduced to a lot of different types of music. My, my parents will say that I was singing before I was talking. Uh, that's probably true because I still sing a lot, even uh, frequently now it's in my kitchen belting out to something that's playing on Pandora. Uh, but I've, been, I've had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different types of music, and I continue to, to, I continue to do that. You know, we were talking uh, before we started recording about how I have a 16-year-old son, and frequently your kids listen to stuff different than you did, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
I've really been fascinated by the different types of music that he's interested in as well. And so I continue to expand the different genres that I listen to. I'm, I'm pretty eclectic. Uh, and I find that music has a way to speak to your soul that other things don't, uh, at least for me. And I have all different kinds of playlists that help to influence different types of moods that I want to have or different types of concentration that I want to have. And so, yeah, music has just been a big part of my life, my whole life. Hmm. That explains your tonality. Okay. I, I, I thought you were a singer. I thought you were. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I uh, don't have the chops I used to have. I took private voice all the way through college and did a, a very small stint in college with uh professional singing, you know, getting paid to sing. Uh, now I say I'm much better just staying in my kitchen and belting it out to whatever's on the speakers because <laughs> my, uh, my chops have uh, diminished in their skill from lack of use in that more uh, professional field, but still love to sing. Uh, it, it, it pulls a very deep part of me when I do. Yeah. Yeah, it can. It can. Alto or soprano? Uh, yes. <laughs> so... When- <laughs> When I was when I was really young, it was alto, and then through high school and college, it was actually first soprano. Uh, now there's absolutely no way. I probably my range has shrunk significantly, uh, and so there's there's no way I could do first soprano today. Uh, so I probably end up, you know, if I was singing in a formal choir situation in alto now. Hmm. See, note to self, Stephanie was a Mariah Carey type early on. Okay. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go there. Not, not, not quite that caliber. But <laughs> I was like, first soprano. I was like, okay, uh, whistle note much, but <laughs> right, right, right. It was up there. It was up there. Yeah. Okay. So you did heavy range. Okay. So if you sang alto, which I would have guessed, because. Hearing your voice, I would uh, would have guessed alto, but having first soprano range, oh wow, yeah, you did work on your voice, man. So, what did you like about being uh, a classically trained singer? You know, the thing that that I appreciated the most about going through the classical singing training program, and and I wasn't a music major by any stretch in in college. I had to audition to get into the program uh, because there were limited spots for the 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 private voice. And I was amazed when I got in, uh, you know, because there was all these other uh, music majors that were participating in an auditioning in the same way. And it gave me a different way to express myself and really work on possibilities. Plus the, the different types of music that I had the opportunity to practice and perfect and work with somebody that really knew what they were talking about uh, around music was really fulfilling for me. Uh, the The reason that I chose to have different majors in college, because at one point I, I looked at maybe being a music major, was because I decided that I wanted music to stay something that I did for me and something that I did for joy and not something that I did for obligation or for pay or for anything like that. And I'm, I'm glad I made that choice. Um, but I'm also glad that I had the opportunity to to train when I did, because uh, it was it was something that I look back with a lot of fondness. Mm, yeah, I, I would too. If I had that type of training, I definitely would as well. Because uh, it's just something about the discipline of music. <laughs> it's like it, it 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 seemingly marries two different things. It, to be good at it, you have to have some discipline in it. 
in it. But to really shine, you have to have some creativity to it too. So it, it's sort of it's sort of as if you walk that tightrope of being logical and creative at the same time. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if I had to peg you, that would be the description that I have of you. You see, you seem to be the type of person that walks that fine line between being creative and being logical. And that, and and hearing how you are, and hearing how you have been trained musically, it makes total sense. I love that. Thank you for saying that. That I take that as a great compliment. Uh, I I do kind of sit on that line between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll ask this music question. Uh, what is your favorite genre? You say you have eclectic tastes. So oh wow, favorite depends on the day and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to so many different kinds. I don't know that I have a favorite. Um, I'll say lately I've been listening to a really eclectic mix between uh gospel music and my son introduced me to dubstep which is a very different genre um all the way to some classic rock that i've been listening to uh in the last week or so and uh that that changes as my moods change and as uh i i get introduced to different things spotify has a really cool feature uh, where it will recommend music that you haven't listened to based on the music you do listen to. So I go down all kinds of different rabbit holes um, as, as I experience different types of music. Mm. Yeah, that, that's the joy of finding something new musically. Uh, I, I, I will never forget, uh, I was 16 and I was uh, sitting in a friend's car and we talked about music for about 30 minutes. And so it was right, of course, right around the time when hip hop was getting its its legs under from under it, and yeah, when yep. and and when rock slash heavy metal actually was considered pop at time at at times, right, right. So, so he introduced me to Metallica, and at the same time, I introduced him to Public Enemy, and okay, all right, and we both have listened to the other ever since. So, <laughs> yeah, right. it's it's amazing how music can different type of music can create the different types of moods that that you're in and yeah i that was the biggest lesson i learned in that exchange it's like wow okay so i can appreciate different offerings of music and love it for the music itself i don't have to i don't have to be in a certain clique i don't have to be in in a certain mind frame i could just simply be in a certain mood and say yeah i feel like listening to Tchaikovsky right now and yeah and then turn around and say yeah okay I'm feeling a little Motown right now and and, and it's yes yes right and it's perfectly well within your realm so yeah uh, any person that has an classic taste I love yeah you know when it's kind of nice that we don't have to carry around CDs anymore because Mm -hmm. moving all of our CDs that we had was really heavy Uh, (laughs) because we we did have some you know pop jazz rap hip-hop you know you mentioned motown classical um opera show tunes you know i own a little bit of all of that and and other stuff as well um one one thing that i have fun doing just with the the different clients that i work with all over the world is what kind of music are you listening to because uh, it's it's fascinating the different things that you can get introduced to and sometimes i'm like mm, that doesn't work for me but i'm glad you like it and right. other times i find something new that i'm like oh that's really cool mm-hmm. yeah yeah and 
I agree with you in this, in the mode and the mindset of a person's musical taste tells you a lot about them. And yeah, and it, and seemingly music opens the door to a lot of conversations with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, for me, I, I, I remember I was working in a newsroom and I saw one of the producers wearing a, uh, it was a female producer wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. And so I had to make it a point to say, oh, love to uh, dig the shirt, dig the group too. And she smiled when I said that because she was like, oh, you recognize the shirt in the group. Oh, and, and she was warmer to me after I said that compliment to her than she was before I even said it. So sure. it's amazing. It is amazing how music can open doors. Amazing how it can. So I, I love that. I love that question you ask your clients. That's good. That's really good. So you mentioned college earlier. You said that uh, you flirted with uh, being a music major. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, what major did you settle on and what college did you settle on? I ended up going to Illinois State University. Um, I wanted to go to a state school, uh, largely because of finances. And I wanted to go to a school that was far enough away from my parents that they weren't going to drop by at any given point in time. So uh, my my two two choices at the time were uh, University of Illinois and Illinois State. University of Illinois was right in the town where mom and dad did all their grocery shopping. So, (laughs) so, you know, weird reason to pick a college, but that was one of mine. Um, That coupled with the fact that the University of Illinois had a really good business program, still does. And uh, I had two different degrees that I came out with. Uh, One was in HR with a kind of marketing twist to it. And the other was business information systems. So one degree was more right-brained and the other degree was computer programming. Uh, And so, yeah, using both sides of my brain there as well. Mm. The business degree does not surprise me. The human resources one, on the other hand, wow, what made you choose that one? Uh, I'm interested in people. Mm. Now, and that's why I chose it. Now, I, I learned from an HR perspective, there, there were a lot of other <laughs> other elements to that degree. Right. Uh, and, and I was interested in understanding better about management and leadership. Um, and at the time, that's a degree that made sense for that as well. Uh, I, I learned a lot about um, different types of business structures, different ways to interact with people within those business structures. Um, my eyes were opened big time to uh, unions and, and I actually had a pro-union professor that that taught about HR in relation to unions. So that was a really unique stance uh, that I got uh, from from taking that particular class. And yeah, it was it was an interesting combination. Uh, and then I, you know, I had the flip side of uh, sitting in computer labs and writing code. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that, woo, that that's giving that's giving me a headache as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, writing code, Lord! Ugh. I would Ooh. dream in code. I would actually go to sleep with a bug in my software. Couldn't figure out what the problem was. I'd go to sleep. I'd solve it in my sleep. I'd wake up. That was back when we had dial-up call. You know, you, you, you plugged your computer into the phone line and you clicked <laughs> a couple buttons and then you waited a half an hour for your computer to get connected. You know, world is very, very different now. I'm showing some of my age, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, but then I'd log in in the middle of the night and fix the code and 
yes, it worked. Go back to sleep. So um, yeah, I would dream. I would dream in the stuff. Oh yeah, the days where we were so enamored with having our computers linked up to our telephone lines. <laughs> right. Right. And we was we were so excited to get on after about maybe a minute. And now, <laughs> if it takes a minute for us to get any action on our computer, we're like, hurry up! <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're right, too slow. Right. Oh my gosh, sixty seconds? That's like way too crazy long to wait. Yeah. Our 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 patience for stuff has significantly changed over the years. Yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah, it has. Wow, so all of this robust knowledge and skill that you learned, what was the greatest lesson you learned at Illinois State? You know, I would actually say my greatest lesson learned was the value of diversity. And it mm-hmm. wouldn't have come from a classroom. Uh, so I worked uh, when when I was at the university, I worked for an organization called Night Operations. And that was the department within the university that was responsible for all the security in the residence halls from seven at night until seven in the morning. And so uh, it was a job where I had my first experience ever of being a minority. And because I, I grew up in a really homogenous community, um, pretty much everybody was like me, you know, um, was raised to appreciate people that were different, but didn't really have a whole lot of experience with people that were significantly different than me. And so it was, it was eye-opening and it was illuminating all at the same time. And I had a boss who I still call mama and who my son still calls grandma. Uh, you know, we're, we're still connected that she was a fabulous leader of her staff in doing developmental type meetings that were required. A lot of people groaned, oh, another meeting. Right. But but those developmental activities that she did for us were so powerful for me and so eye-opening for me. And then when you work from seven at night until seven in the morning, there's these lulls of absolutely nothing going on where you're sitting next to the person you're working with that night and it's either be bored staring at walls or really have a real conversation. And I am so fortunate that I had a number of people that came from extremely different backgrounds than I did, where we'd sit and talk for hours uh, about different experiences and different perspectives on life. And, you know, up to that point, I was pretty much around people that kind of thought the way I did. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of exposure to people that were racially different from me. There wasn't a lot of exposure to people that had a different religion than me. Um, there wasn't a lot of exposure to difference in general. And so I had the opportunity to get that exposure, uh, very early on in my college career. And I would say that that is, that that still serves me today, uh, and I'm I'm very very grateful for that experience. Yeah, when you have experiences like that, which open your eyes literally, <laughs> and opens mm-hmm. your heart and opens your mind, it it is difficult to forget. It is difficult to put down, and it is it is wonderful when you can look back with more maturity and you can see where you learned a valuable lesson about life and about humans at a certain flashpoint, and you can say, yeah, it has that serves me well now. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes, that is a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, being diverse in in life and uh, appreciating people for who they are, that is one of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever receive and could ever give. No question. I think it it helped me grow my empathy muscle, you know, because when you're around everybody that's like you, Mm -hmm. you know, day in and day out, you don't necessarily get a whole lot of practice. 
exercising that empathy muscle and exercising uh, uh, your communication and your listening muscle. Um, it also helped me get more solid on things that I did or didn't believe. Um, it, it opened up my eyes to explore more and ask more questions. Um, it opened up my eyes to a myriad of different ways that people think and believe and their backgrounds of how they grew up and what made them who they are. And I use that today in my work. You know, I, I still use that today. Mm, that is beautiful. And speaking of diversity and college, uh, seemingly that is reflected in your present day husband. So how did you true. meet? <laughs> so how, so true. So, right. Very true. So how did you meet your husband? We met at school. Um, <laughs> so have him tell it. We met a year before I remember meeting. Um, so we, we tell slightly different stories, um, have different perspectives on when we officially met. Uh, but he and I both agree that we started growing a relationship uh, in between semesters in the summer uh, where we just got to know each other better. And uh, at the time, I was in that, you know, power college girl perspective. I am woman. I don't need a man. You know, watch me roar. I can do this on my own. I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids. I'm going to become this career person and I'm going to go. And the way that I knew I really loved him was that a lot of that disappeared. You know, I still wanted to be successful in business, um, but I saw myself having kids very clearly with him. And, uh, you know, we've been together now since 1992. And uh, so, so glad that uh, I gave him a chance because, you know, I was in this you know, kind of full of myself mode with the I don't need a relationship. Yeah. And uh, I gave him a chance and I'm, I'm glad that I did. Wow. All right. As I'm erasing Helen Reddy's voice in my head. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So you are happily, well, Sounds like happily, but I think you yeah, are. Happily, yes. <laughs> I can confirm, yes, happily. Happily. Uh, in an interracial marriage. So what hurdles have you, if any, if you have, uh, what hurdles have you and your husband had to overcome in the journey, in the love that you all have? You know, I think it's a lot easier now than when it was back then. Um we had, I can't say that we've had these really horrible experiences. They're all subtle experiences that we've had or concerns about having negative experiences. Therefore, we've planned around them. Uh, so kind of an example of, of planning around uh, when, when we decided to get married, you know, we, we do all the planning of the wedding, right? And we knew that there were going to be people on both sides of the family that didn't necessarily uh, jump for joy at the idea of us coming together in, in, in a wedding. And so we wanted to think about, you know, how, how do we handle that with our wedding? Um, we wanted to think about the fact that there were people that could potentially say things on both sides of the family that could offend the other side of the family. And how do we want to handle that? And, um, we actually had contingency plans within our wedding and our reception. Uh, we had things like, I didn't want to do the typical, uh, when, when you come into the church and they ask you, are you a friend of the bride or are you a friend of the groom? Because just with our family, we'd end up having a segregated church. And mm -hmm. I didn't want that. And 
And so, you know, some of those more traditional wedding things that you do, we're like, no, that's not going to be a part of what we do. Uh, we wanted people to integrate immediately, uh, you know, as much as possible within how we viewed our relationship together. Um, we also got really intentional uh, when we decided to have children in where we wanted to live and how we wanted to raise our child because we recognize that there are a lot of uh, biracial children that have challenges with identity. Um, there's biracial children that, depending on where they grow up, uh, don't have a place to fit in. And so one of the reasons that we live where we live uh, was was very, very intentional in finding a community that was community-focused, that where our son wouldn't be an only. There's a number of mixed families, actually, in this local community. So uh, there's a, a lot more diversity um, within his school system than in other communities within Illinois. And that was very, very intentional. And we spent a lot of intentional time thinking about how do we want to help him grow up honoring all the sides of who he is. So yeah, those are some of the things. Mm, it's it's beautiful when you actually see two people defy the norms, the societal norms in life. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, my skin is dark, so I should be with a dark person. Uh, your skin is light, you should be with another light person. And I, I love seeing the dynamic of two people getting together, and it just transcends the societal norms. That it's not about what is on the outer appearance of the person. It's about what is on inside of them. And mm -hmm. the fact that you two have connected mm -hmm. and you saw through that, knowing that others can't and seemingly, seemingly others never will. It's a testament to the fact that you two found each other, cultivated a loving relationship with each other. And of course you now have a son together and it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see that. And one of the things that have, that has made me admire you is that right off the bat. So yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I think that we also choose how we're going to respond to certain things because there are always going to be people that say or do stupid stuff or hurtful stuff. Mm -hmm. And we can choose to let that impact our entire day. We can choose to let that darken our heart um, and influence how we view the world. Or we can say, you know what, that's that person's opinion. And that person's opinion really doesn't matter to us. <laughs> so why would we let it, you know, influence our entire view of how we want to live? And I think that making that intentional choice as well has been something that has allowed us to live quite happily um, in, in choosing whose opinion really matters. And I think that's true whether you have an interracial relationship or not. You know, um, that's, that's, that's a good business lesson. That's a good life lesson is, is really being conscious of your values and living your values and understanding that there are other people that may not share those same values. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to understand is that like you marriage interracial or not <laughs> in other realms of life too, uh, when you know your worth and you know your value for some reason, maturity seems to come into play because for, I don't know why it is. Uh, that seems to be a struggle, a monumental struggle for people when they're younger. 
versus when you get to a certain age, and now I'm not going to mention age here, but just when you get to a certain age, <laughs> seemingly you get, you look back and you say, well, why was I tripping over this? Why was right? I, I uh, why right. was I why was I fixated on this? This really in the in the grand scheme of life, it doesn't matter. Why was I tripping over this? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I will say my husband was more mature where that's concerned for a long time than I was because I am I'm a passionate person. And so when I was younger, I was passionate about all the wrongs in the world. And my husband had a more balanced he's 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 the even keel um you know, he, he has things that are really important to him, but he's not necessarily as fired up as I am about certain things and, uh, going for us in our relationship. And, and I tap into that. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that because that, that puts us in a much better position too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure on the other side of it all, uh, you help him actually see that, yeah, it's great to be even keeled, but you got to care about some things and that. Mm-hmm. It isn't a crime to be passionate about things. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? He cares deeply. He just expresses it differently than I do. Right. Um, yeah. And frequently better than I do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 like I said, it's beautiful to see two people who actually are bound to be with one another and how that, con- how that works in concert and how, how it just it radiates in life, how beautiful that is. Yeah, definitely, definitely continue to protect that and cherish it. Please do. <laughs> because it will do. Will yeah, do. Yeah. You two have something really special. And yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I'd love to see it grow. Now you were talking earlier about uh, being this entrepreneur on fire. Sorry, John Lee Dumas. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, right? <laughs> And that you were going to be this woman that just was going to have that superwoman cape and, and the attache case to your hand. And you were going to conquer the business world by storm and that you had your mission and you were not going to be swayed from it. Right. And, and I know a little bit of that is still is still in you. Uh, so how was corporate America to you after you had this uh, this this gusto of wanting to conquer it? So I moved very, very quickly up the ladder, if you will, uh, in my corporate career. I was very uh, focused and driven and um, workaholic, perfectionist, all of those things uh, in my, my corporate career time. And um, early on in my corporate career, it was, it was very good to me. Uh, I liked what I did. I liked the people that I worked with. I liked the clients that I was working with. Um, but I did they they did encourage um, overwork. They did encourage um, almost obsessive work uh, to the degree that the the organization that I worked with actually there was such a thing as a free lunch. There was this huge, huge, gorgeous cafeteria and twenty four seven. Now catch that twenty four seven. Anytime you wanted to go get something, you could. That sounds like an amazing benefit, right? Until you realize that we were there twenty four seven. So they were supplying, you know, um, it was, it, I refer to it as golden handcuffs. There were a lot of really, really good, um, business job benefits. Um, I had amazing pay, lots of responsibility and doing things that I was really interested in. Um, but there was also a dark side to that as well of stress and overwork. 
And for a while, I was so deep in it that I didn't realize how unbalanced my life had become. Um, you know, I, I spent more time at work than I did anywhere else. Uh, it, it was very easy to see me at work before the sun came up and after the sun went down. And I had gotten myself to this sick place, really, where I felt guilty if I wasn't at work when the sun was out. And that's, you know, Monday through Sunday. Uh, so that wasn't healthy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I got to a point where I recognized how unhealthy that was after my son was born, when I realized that uh, there were a lot of other people, wonderful people, people that we had selected and, and we valued, but they were taking care of him more than I was. And that wasn't the type of mom I wanted to be. And it opened my eyes that I really wasn't the type of wife I wanted to be either. Uh, it's, you know, I was, I was married to an extremely patient and, uh, supportive husband who knew that I had a goal to work my way up in the corporate ladder. And I did, uh, lots and lots of different things that I did in that career. But I think I got to the point where I realized that that wasn't enough. Um, and I realized, you know, there was this point in the middle of the night where a lot of parents, when when they have young kids, will kind of look at their kids when they're sleeping and will think some kind of question like, you know, what types of things do I want to teach them? What, what do I hope for their life as they grow up? And there was just one defining moment where I had a blinding flash of the obvious that, this this little kid that that I had in my arms was probably going to learn more from watching what I did than by what I said. And that if he and then I took it that next step to say, okay, so what is he going to see in me right now as as I was then? And I realized that really the only reason at that point uh, in my career that I was staying was because of those golden handcuffs, because of the amazing benefits, because of the really high income. Um, and I I was no longer fulfilled there. And uh, I actually felt more trapped than anything. And I had to admit to myself that if I stayed, I'd be teaching him to sell himself because that's ultimately what I was doing. Mm. And that was, that was really painful to admit. Like, oh, you know, that's kind of ugly. And so it was at that point that I decided uh, after you know, having a conversation with my husband that the right choice was to actually walk away from all of that. <laughs> now, to to let you know <laughs> that I figured that you were going to have one of those come to Jesus type type of conversations. One of the questions I had was, when did you know you had to be an entrepreneur? <laughs> right? So I was kind of, I was, I was what a lot of people refer to as an intrapreneur, even in my corporate experience. So I had right. this job that I got paid for. Um, I led a team at any given point in time, I led a team of about 250 to 300 people that was um, software development and customer service for Fortune 50 companies. So as if that wasn't enough, um, I was also on the side doing things that I was really interested in. So I was really interested in um, helping the firm develop better um, leaders and project managers. So I was involved in programs developing programs to help with that. And, you know, I mentioned earlier in this conversation about my interest in diversity mm -hmm. and the firm, um, the firm was doing more around diversity and I wanted to be a part of that. And so the other thing that I got involved in that had nothing to do with my paycheck was the development of a global uh, diversity program uh, for the firm on, on a worldwide basis. Um, and both of those experiences were 
phenomenally empowering for me and being exposed to, again, these thought leaders. Uh, and, and I could have some small part in that. So uh, I, had, I had done entrepreneurial things even in my corporate career. And when, when I decided to walk away from the, from the job I was actually paid to do, uh, I, I, it, it wasn't even this pro and con list. I was like, I don't want to be an employee anymore. It's, it's, it was almost like this light switch flipped. And I said, what can I do instead? And I started looking at the different skills that I had and the different interests that I had, um, the life I wanted to build. And you know, I had a conversation with my husband. And four months after we had the initial conversation about me walking away from my corporate job, uh, I left my job. He left his job. We sold our home and we moved two and a half hours south and started fresh. And that's not, um, if, if I was ever to advise people on how to start their own business, my path would not be what I would advise because it's, it's not a strategically sound path for income. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we just, you know, we, we walked away from everything. Now, everything worked out for us. You know, we took a step, we took a, a huge step in faith and everything worked out fine. And, and for me, that was the right path to take. Um, it just wasn't strategically a, a very good path to take uh and and i i dipped my toes in a number of different entrepreneurial uh avenues before i landed where i'm really supposed to be which is where i am now when i first left the corporate space i was in such a toxic situation walking out um because it, ha- it had gotten really bad that the firm went from being privately held to being a publicly traded company and the the Corporate culture changed significantly within that time frame, and everything that I believed in about that organization was kind of thrown out the window. And I was being asked to do things that were not illegal, but definitely on my ethical border on a very regular basis. So um, my my ethics and my values and my internal compass were challenged on a, a regular basis, and that left me um, very raw on the inside and the outside. And so walking away from that, I needed a little decompression time. So for for a while, I couldn't work any kind of business. I, I couldn't even see myself uh, working in, in the space of working with business owners. So uh, I had a, a few different leaps before I got to where I am today. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're not the first person that I've heard that has climbed up the corporate ladder and realize that the life just would suck the energy out of you. And it almost sounds as if uh, <laughs> dialing it back and stepping away seemed to be a lifesaver for you. In, in more ways than one call. I mean, you know, you, you say that kind of, um, I, I had moments of, of suicidal tendencies during that period in my life. So it really was quite literally um, a lifesaver for me because I kind of lost touch with who I was by by that point um and i'm really happy that i found her again <laughs> yeah, as are, as are we all <laughs> as are we all so as a woman now that you're yes. an entrepreneur what has been the greatest struggle and the greatest reward in being your own boss that's a loaded question you know that too <laughs> <laughs> you know so i don't i don't know so much as a woman um i think in today's environment Women can have just as many success stories as men can entrepreneurially because there's just so many opportunities out there. I will say that that early on, some of my biggest struggles were more personal tied to work. 
because I was so unbalanced walking away from my corporate experience, I kind of flipped the other direction for a while. Um, you know, I had a, I was a mom now. Um, at the time, my son was a toddler. You know, he was still in diapers. And so I knew I wanted to start my own thing, but I also was scared that I would fall back into that overwork space. And so my, my biggest challenge was trying to balance that all. And I actually failed <laughs> the first time around um, because I created my business and my business was very successful. And I had set up these ways of living so that I could be an involved mom. And that was all really great. Um, and then I looked at what I wasn't able to do when I was in my corporate space. You know, I was always in that building, in at my desk or in a meeting or what have you, or traveling to clients. And so what types of things were a part of my value system that I wasn't able to participate in? And one of those things was giving back, you know, being a part of the community. And my mom and dad had always raised me to say, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be involved in anything, be really involved. And so I created this business. I had a new community. I had a toddler. I had my husband. And I also added in all kinds of volunteer experience. I decided to get trained and become a advocate for a, a medical advocate for women who were sexually assaulted, which meant a pager on my side in the middle of the night going to the hospital at two or three in the morning uh, while they were having rape kits done. Um, I was a court appointed special advocate for kids that were removed from their home for uh, bad situations. I belong to a number of professional organizations and got on the boards of all those things. So you're, you're seeing a pattern here where I said I, I wanted to build this life where um, I was more balanced. And while I had a number of different things I was doing, I hadn't let go of that overwork problem and um, created a different kind of trap for myself. And that's why I say I failed because I didn't really find balance. I just found a different way to be really, really busy. And that all came to a head uh, at a point where I got so sick that I was told I wouldn't see the next year. So that was an eye opener in saying, I'm not doing this quite right. And I had to rethink my business model. I had to rethink what I said yes to and what I said no to and uh, really rebuild a, a second time around. Now, this time I've got it right. Uh, and I'm, I'm over here smiling from ear to ear because I'm I'm really glad that I got it figured out. And that's actually something that I help my clients figure out as well, is there really is a way to have a business that is life-loving too. Uh, and that's that's something that, that I'm actually really passionate about. Hmm. So it sounds like to me that at Callahan Solutions, uh, a client receives a work-life balance from a work perspective. Uh, am I off base there? Well, right. You know, it, what's what's interesting is that, so I work with small business owners. And most small business owners get into creating a business because it's something that they're interested in. Um, and then they also need to create an income. But what frequently happens is similar to what happened to me, where they get so involved in their business that, that different things slip. It, it could be that their health slips. It could be that their relationships slip. It could be that they just get to a point of burnout where they... Um, aren't having the same kind of sales that they used to have. And so what we do is take a holistic look at their entire business. What's going on in between their head, meaning, you know, their mindset. I call that the heart space, as well as 
organizationally and structurally what's going on with their business. Did they pick the right business model to begin with? Some people did, some people didn't. And and saying, okay, well, um, for the type of life that you want, is this going to get you there? And asking some of those hard questions, because it is hard to look at something that you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into and say, this isn't working the way I want it to be working. Um, that takes a lot of courage to express that and to say that. But once you do, you have the opportunity to say, okay, what is it that I really want? Like really, really want. Not what I think I should have, not what other people tell me I should have, but what is it that I really want to build? Because a really cool thing about being a business owner is you get to do that. And But it, but it starts with acknowledging what it is that you want to create, but not just for your business, for your life, you know, because you're, you're creating a life and your business should support that life rather than keeping you from having that life. And so we do what I call working at the intersection of head and heart. There's an element of understanding mindset and what is your heart saying about what you want to create and what you have going within your own internal thinking and your your subconscious that's driving the different results that you currently have uh, and getting that square, getting that in a healthy place. And then, okay, let's make it happen. And what's the, the, the systems and the strategy and the techniques that you can put in place to then really powerfully build a business around who you are. Mm, wow. It almost, it almost seems as if you remind the entrepreneur that you're, that you're into doing this business, of course, to, like you said, make money, but you're also in it to make your life better. And it doesn't stop with the business that you start. And that is a really big time value bomb. Well, you know, I find that there's a lot of people that realize that their business isn't exactly what they thought it would be, but it doesn't always show up in a conscious, my business isn't the way I'd like it to be. Um, you know, it, it may show up in procrastination. It may show up in reduced or non-existent sales. You know, I, I had one client uh, that I had, I had gone out to coffee, tea with her, um, just to catch up. You know, how, how are things going? She wasn't a client at the time. And I just asked, you know, how, how's it going? And all of a sudden she burst out in tears, wasn't expecting that, uh, and said, you know, I don't know what's going on. I used to be so good at sales and I haven't had a sale at all this year. And we were talking in July. So that's seven months of no sales. Mm. Uh, and that's a really painful place to be. And we ultimately decided to work together um, just around sales and money mindset. And the bottom line, what had occurred is that uh, she had created a business that was requiring her to be away from home on a regular basis, both as a part of how the business was marketed and as a part of how the business was delivered uh, because she went on site to her clients. And what was happening is in her subconscious, she was actually blowing the sale because she didn't want to be traveling all the time anymore. She wanted to be home. Um, she wanted to be, she, she was also a very involved mom um, or, or wanted to be, you know, she wanted to be um, in town to participate in her community and, and to participate in her family's life. And this subconscious stuff was going on under the surface that was making her blow all her sales. And, and once we uncovered all of that, we were able to say, okay, well, then how can we market differently where you don't have to be on the road all the time? There's all kinds of creative ways that you can deliver services. You could still do the same thing, but maybe you do it in a slightly different way. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. And we were able to, you know, she didn't 
scrap her business. She kept the same business, but she retooled it so that it provided her the lifestyle that she was actually looking for. You know, there's all these different coaches out there that are talking about the lifestyle business. And then they show you Instagram photos of piles of money and yachts and, you know, scandally clad women on really fast cars. Mm. Um, That's not what I mean when I say a lifestyle business. What I mean is a business that supports the lifestyle you want. If that's lots and lots of travel, awesome. I have clients that do that. If that is being the room mom for your kindergartner, you know, and baking cookies, awesome. I have a client that does that too. If that means that you're single and you want to be able to really work on your golf game, and get, you know, that's a passion of yours. You don't necessarily want to become a pro golfer, but you know, that's something you want time for. Awesome. Let's make that happen. A lifestyle business under my definition is a business that supports whatever life it is that you're interested in and that you want to do. And it's totally possible. There's millions and millions of different ways to make money. So it's just a matter of getting super creative and connecting what you want with one of those ways. Mm, wow. And this dovetails right into the next question I have because uh, I, in hearing you talk about this I'm I, I mean the, the passion is coming off of your mic <laughs> it's, it is emitting through it's the vibrating <laughs> yes it is vibrating I, I could tell that this is this is such a labor of love for you yeah uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I could definitely feel the passion and along with the logical stuff and the techniques that you've learned along with it I'm also seeing the creative side and I've seen that really firsthand. So we talked earlier about how you combine the logical and creative side with music, uh, with Mm -hmm. marketing. How do you marry that logical and creative side? I believe that there isn't one right way to market anything. I believe that there is your right way to market something. So just because you have the same business as five other people doesn't mean that you should be doing the exact same things that they're doing. There are, you know, we're all born with our own fingerprints, our own background, our own knowledge, our own brilliance that we bring to the world. And when we combine all of those things, then there are some obvious marketing strategies that bubble to the top. What I find, especially because there's so many different ways to get the message out about your business today, there's so many different ways to be visible. I mean, social media alone, you know, there's slews and slews, and, and that's not the only way. So a really smart way to go about it is to develop not only marketing systems, but business systems as a whole that are aligned to who you are. There are a lot of business owners that should themselves to death. Mm-hmm. And then they sign up for a bunch of different training classes because it's something they really don't want to do, but ah, I should learn how to do this. And that's not effective. What's more effective, you know, and this is the more strategy side, right? What's more effective is picking those marketing strategies that you're actually going to do rather than the ones that you're shitting yourself about that you're, you're putting off and procrastinating on. Because if you're putting it off and procrastinating on it, then nobody's finding out about you. You know, so one of one of my favorite ways to get out and and be introduced to new people is doing what we're doing right here is is going on on different shows, radio shows, podcasts, webinars, what have you. But if you're a person that doesn't want to sit in front of a mic and have a conversation, then that strategy is not a good one for you. And so first off, having aligned strategies to who you are makes a lot of sense. And then you get creative and you have fun with it. And you look at the different ways that you can leverage what you've done. 
So an example of that is, you know, we, uh, at, at some point, this, this show will be live and it'll be out on the web and we'll have recordings of it. Well, I already know that I will take that and I will share it with people in as many ways as possible because it's good for you and it's good for me. That creates a win-win. I'll use social media. I'll create a blog post. Uh, you know, there's this list of different things that I do that leverages my time with you. So rather than me saying, well, you know, I spent an hour or so with Cole and now my job is done, which is what a lot of people do when they go on shows, right? Hey, now it's all on Cole. He now has to figure out how to get this out to the masses. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really pretty short-sighted and it's not very creative. And so I look at it and say, there's there's a win-win that can be created with every marketing strategy that you use. You know, we're using a podcast as an example here, but you can do that with a bunch of different things where you can get really creative about leveraging the assets, the marketing assets that you have so that they have more mileage for you, which in turn, when you do that, means that you don't have to put in as much effort creating new things. And so you have more time to do other things. Um, I have I have some clients that are extremely phenomenally creative and I have other clients that are more linear. And so we find the solutions that match with who they are and then connect them up so that they'll actually do it. Yeah. So, wow. So you seem to have this innate ability to tailor your services toward the, <laughs> toward the business owner's choice of how they go about wanting to circulate their message to the masses, which that's really interesting. And uh, you know, it's a good tool. Well, when I started my business, one of the things that was really important to me because it was happening to me was to not be that person that sold stuff I didn't need. I signed up with a lot of different mentors, coaches, consultants, that type of thing to learn different things. And what kept getting thrown at me was, I have this seven-step blueprint for this, 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 and this. And and I'd get frustrated. I'm like, well, you know, I'd really like four or five of these steps in the seven steps, but I'm pretty solid on these other two or three. Mm-hmm. And no, 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 this is my package. You buy the package. And I always felt that that was a square peg in a round hole. It just didn't make sense to me. And so I didn't build my business that way. Uh, my, my business is built around creating programs and packages, but they're creating programs and packages that are specific to the needs that that particular person has at that particular time. Because depending on where you are in your business, you're going to have different needs, you know, depending on the maturity of your business and the maturity you have as a business owner, you're going to have very different needs. And so, yeah, I've just, I've, I've built my business around you know, it goes back to that. We've had a really big diversity theme in here in this conversation today, but it really does go back to honoring the differences of all the people that I work with. Um, I am so not about making carbon copies of me. The world can only handle one. <laughs> Stephanie. I could continue talking to you. You're such an engrossing guest. I mean, you just, you drop value bomb at the value bomb. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm. I hate to cut this short, but I know that your time's valuable. But I'll ask these questions before I do go. Now, mm-hmm. in your life, what has been your greatest regret, if you have any? Mm, wow, you know, I have lots of mini regrets mm. here and there. Um, but when I actually look deeper at the regret, I realize I did the best that I could at the time with what I had. Um, I think probably one of my regrets would be that. I didn't learn how to forgive sooner. Um, I was raised, you know, I mean, they, they teach in the church, you need to forgive. Um, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't really know how. 
And I think in, in my earlier years, I probably held on to resentment uh, more than I should have. Um, and there we go with that should word. I don't like that should word. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm happy that I've learned how to do that now. Um, but that's, that's probably one of them where I think that there are things that could have been different uh, had I been able to forgive sooner. And when I say forgive, I mean others and me. Um, I was huge at being very critical of myself and not recognizing uh, and, and doing lots of shooting to myself that caused a lot of pain um, and, and probably a lot of illness too. And so, yeah, that, that'd probably be my answer. On the flip side, outside of giving your life to Christ, what has been your biggest accomplishment? Mm, probably stepping away and letting my son be him. Because as someone that, that values parenting uh, tremendously, uh, it's really easy to slip into this mindset of your kid is you. It's really easy to slip into this mindset of all the things that you didn't do when you were younger, you want to help them do, even if they're not interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I see a lot of parents do that. And so I think one of my biggest accomplishments, especially since my son is very driven and um, very sure of who he is and where he's going, one of my biggest accomplishments is stepping back and letting him do it, stepping back and letting him be him. Every one of them was fearfully and wonderfully made. My son was too. Um, but what's interesting is it's a lot easier for me to see that in my clients than sometimes, <laughs> especially when, you know, it's like, oh, I want this for, no, no, it's not about really what I want. It's about helping him again, be the best version of him that he can be. Oh, so this is the time of the show where if you have any parting shots, if uh, something has or if you have more wisdom to pass along, and I do say more because you've passed along a lot even to this point, uh, whatever is on your mind, your heart, your soul, or your spirit right now, the floor is yours. So speaking directly to the listeners, uh, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but I want to reiterate it. Uh, whether you are a business owner or whether you are an employee or whether you are staying at home and, and raising a family, because uh, that's a different type of employment, right? I'd encourage you to take some time to sit back and really evaluate what it is that you really want. Because a lot of us are just existing through life rather than living through life. And as somebody that um, at one point was dying, I can tell you that it's much, much better to live, fully live whatever life it is that you want to create. And whatever that life is, it may be really easy or it may take some tr- a tremendous amount of work, um, but gosh, isn't it worth trying to shoot for it? And at a minimum, you can be really clear on what you have going on and create a strategy to get to where you want to be. Mm, wow. <laughs> As if any more words need to be spoken. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, public speaker, coach, consultant, Businesswoman, entrepreneur, and Uber guest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take that one and put it on my bio, Cole. (laughs) (laughs) The CEO of Callahan Solutions, Stephanie Callahan. Stephanie, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's... So elusive when we're younger and we see 
sometimes how our parents struggled, reaffirmed with that understanding in school and with your friends and with people who are probably one generation older than you are. But ultimately, you will run out of juice and run out of energy. The word says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. I'm so glad that this person, who I do consider a friend, didn't lose her soul when she climbed up the corporate ladder, but she found her purpose in being an entrepreneur. Many thanks to my guest, Stephanie, and you check her out on stephaniecallahan.com. And you will hear more from her, not only in other circles, but with this particular brand right here as well. For changing the world one conversation at a time, I'm Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. For more of Revelations, go to Pippa, spelled P-I-P-P-A dot I-O.